This is BIV Today, the daily business video show and podcast from the journalists at Business in Vancouver. I'm Haley Wooden. For many of us, we've relied on Zoom and other technologies to help us work from home and connect with loved ones during the pandemic. But even in 2020, there are still communities that do not have basic access to internet or connectivity in British Columbia. And that's what our podcast focuses on today. Denise Williams is my guest. She is the CEO of the First Nations Technology Council. Denise, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Haley. When it comes to First Nations communities in BC, tell me a little bit about how connected or unconnected they are to some of the very basic services many of us take for granted. Yeah, British Columbia is home to a number of First Nations communities, uh, 203, and and if you look at um, reserve communities, uh, over 500. So uh, here in British Columbia, we're home to uh, more First Nations communities than than anywhere uh, across Canada, and of course, they're dispersed across really challenging geographic uh, landscapes. So really close to mountains, lakes, and forests, which um, for uh, internet and cellular coverage uh, can, can be pretty pretty challenging terrain. Um, but uh, yeah, to date, as, as a result of some of those geographic challenges, uh, some of the challenges around the regulatory system in Canada and a market-driven model um, to, to access uh, internet and mobile coverage, 75% uh, of First Nations communities don't have access to uh, broadband uh, connectivity, which in today's def definition means 50 megabit download speed and, and 10 megabit upload speeds. Um, so 75% of communities not having that access is a really significant number. What's actually more significant on top of that is it's less than 10% of First Nations homes within those communities um, have access uh, to the internet. So, you know, the, these are, this is a compounding um, issue. So there's the issue of not having basic access to the infrastructure, to the big pipe coming into the community. There's, there's also not those last mile solutions for, for Wi-Fi uh, coverage. And, and most homes, uh, you know, as a result of this, don't have hardware in their homes, like laptops and smartphones and all the things that uh, if you're living in the southern part of British Columbia, you're probably quite used to and relying on quite a bit during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. I imagine this is something that's difficult to fully quantify, but what's your sense of some of the economic and social impacts of not having ready access to basic connectivity? This was already an issue, um, you know, across Indigenous communities, not just in British Columbia, but across Canada, you know, access to the economy is is absolutely, you know, uh, uh, critical for, for building a healthy community, uh, thriving nations and, uh, you know, reaching uh, truth and, and reconciliation, economic reconciliation in this country. And, of course, most of our economy is is digitally enabled and reliant. This is a, a global economy working uh, online more than ever. Uh, you know, of course, tech companies' uh, uh, stocks are booming because we are all more reliant uh, now uh, on, on, on doing business this way. So, you know, what was already an issue for Indigenous people in this country um, being excluded from the economy because of our lack of access to the platform on which the economy is being run, uh, you know, this acceleration to reliance uh, on online platforms, this has just exacerbated uh, that issue. And, you know, on the social side, I think, 
you know, it, it is hard to quantify because it's yet to be seen just how devastating um, uh, this lack of connection really is. So, you know, we've got Indigenous uh, kids not able to access uh, school, um, you know, kids in K to 12, of course, if you don't have, uh, you know, a laptop, you don't have the internet at home, um, you know, this means that you're not getting an education right now. Uh, of course, access to healthcare, a lot of that has moved online. Even information about healthcare or hearing these updates from Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, understanding what this means for your community. If, if, you're in, uh, if you're in one of these communities, one of these 75% of communities in BC, uh, you're relying on um, likely, likely just the radio for that kind of update. We think about also the um, impact just this isolation of this situation has caused. Most of us are reaching out on Zoom with friends and family, lots of creative things happening I know in the world right now to help us feel connected, to help us feel like we are building something better for tomorrow. But who's part of those conversations? I mean, if 75% of First Nations communities in BC are not part of that conversation because they're taking place in virtual town halls and you know they're not able to connect with their families or other indigenous people to talk about what this means for us um, you know that level of isolation and disconnection from the building of a better future I mean that starts to feel um, I'm sure pretty pretty difficult and um, you know obviously there's rising cases of um, uh, opioid use and overdose which are really troubling, troubling across the province, higher rates of domestic violence across the province. And getting in front of these, um, getting in front of uh, these issues really means ensuring that people have access to information, resources, and, and, and help and support. Mm -hmm. And so those things being reliant uh, at the moment um, for a connection, I mean, it's, it's absolutely critical that we solve this. It, it was before, um, but it, it absolutely is coming to, to a point of um, uh, critical nature that we really do need a lot of support right now to focus on this to ensure Indigenous people have a quality of access now and um, moving into the future as well. Absolutely. Do you have a sense yet of what it would take to solve this realistically working with various stakeholders from the big telecom companies through to governments? Yeah, at the First Nations Technology Council, we've uh, really focused um, a lot over the last uh, five months on gathering the data to support um, people in policy making and decision making seats to understand what this looks like from a British Columbia Indigenous lens. So we've we've gathered the data to look at what would it cost to connect every single one of those over 500, like I mentioned, um, communities, uh, land bases in, in the province. And this is over $100 million in uh, infrastructure build out, uh, if you are to look at the current price of what it costs to connect, um, uh, and, and if you're just looking at fiber fiber connections. So, you know, we, we've looked at what the what that cost would look like um, on the infrastructure side. Um, you know, obviously, we know that uh, we need more competition. We we need more players in the telecommunications space um, to bring some of those bring some of those costs down. And, and the other issue too, um, aside from infrastructure, you know, say uh, this, you know, $100 million price tag, you know, is, is doable by different levels of government and industry, and we're able to get that build going today, there's this bigger question of affordability. So without affordability being addressed, you know, we can put all of this 
we can put all of this infrastructure into place and still have the issue that, uh, you know, not only Indigenous people, but most Canadians find it difficult um, to pay these prices uh, for internet and, and uh, mobile cellular uh, uh, coverage uh, in, the, in this country. So, you know, we, we've, we've got two of, we, we've got both of these, these, these issues that need, uh, that need solutioning. Mm -hmm. I think as a result of the pandemic, we've seen governments at least acknowledge that certain areas or certain sectors of society really need to be modernized and connected better. The courts and our judicial system being one, a fairly traditional system, now we're seeing to finally, uh, we're seeing it become digitized and slightly more accessible. And hopefully that continues. Do you think now is a, a good moment to advance the cause that you're talking about and that politicians are perhaps more receptive to this idea of spending something that might seem like a lot of money, but there is an economic and social case for doing so. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One of the um, one of the things I'm observing, absolutely. You know, I've been in this role for about eight years, and uh, it has not been easy uh, to to get the matter on the table and to get the kind of leadership around this issue, uh, both within well, all levels of government and industry, um, for the reason you know that. Uh, uh, technology connectivity is a bit of an underpinning to everything in our society and everything in the economy. So, you know, it, it, it becomes difficult to, to understand whose budget it's going to come from. And especially when it comes to First Nations communities, there's some complexity around jurisdiction of, of whose role is it with the f- uh, federal government having a fiduciary uh, responsibility uh, when it comes to on reserve communities, but a number of Indigenous people living in urban centers, um, you know, maybe falling under more of a provincial connectivity strategy. So there's some complexity around how governments and industry uh, and organizations like ours and and Indigenous leadership come together uh, to start to solution this. But one of the observations I've been having uh, is that we, we, through the last five to six months, have come away from, you know, kind of waving the flag that this is an issue and trying to get people to focus on it uh, to a far more solution orientated uh, kind of conversation. So, I mean, I have been pleased that I have been able to meet with government and industry over the last five months, pr- pretty regular basis um, to try to figure out what are the, what do the solutions look like and, and how do we get to a place where uh, we're all around that table, like I say, and uh, able to understand from an indigenous perspective, what the, uh, what it looks like to have connected communities that are connected, how Indigenous people would like to see that happen. That's really important as well. So that's the work that the Technology Council is is uh, is is leading through our Indigenous framework for innovation and technology and uh, skills development work we're doing, and of course the policy and research work that we're doing as well to help facilitate those conversations and solutions forward. Is there a role that the broader private sector can play? There's obviously a role for telecom companies, but I'm thinking maybe even beyond that, other technology companies or other kinds of businesses. Is there any way for them to contribute? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the one of the exciting things about working with people in the tech and innovation space is that they're highly solution orientated, really creative thinkers. You know, obviously, there's lots of different uh, technologies and applications that are are really pushing the boundaries of what traditional connectivity uh, looks like or how applications can be built on those networks. And I'm finding that really exciting because I do wonder, um, you know, even with uh, the advancement of low Earth orbit satellites, 
insight, um, different kinds of uh, connectivity that might be uh, challenging some of those traditional uh, telecommunication structures, uh, you know, this could open up um, some really interesting new opportunities for perhaps where Indigenous people are able uh, to align and, and how we can work with, with industry um, to build uh, solutions that you know, we haven't thought of that are more agile and more affordable and, uh, you know, more easily uh, customizable to what Indigenous communities would would like to, to see um, uh, implemented. So I do think that there's a way for industry to align and to share um, some of that expertise and, and some of that thinking um, with, with the work that we're doing. And of course, uh, I know, you know, industry folks who have con uh, contacted um, the First Nations Technology Council thinking, hey, we've got something that could really potentially support Indigenous people in this province. And unfortunately, it's always my message that you know, most of us don't have the connectivity to take advantage of the thing that you're offering. Um, you know, these are, you know, potential really great allies for us in this movement um, to better connectivity, because obviously industry is building some pretty amazing solutions that they want to see benefit everyone. So I really do. Uh, I really do see our, our, our allies in the industry um, playing an important role moving forward. Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show and shedding some more light with our audience on this very important issue. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the time, Haley. That's Denise Williams. She is the CEO of the First Nations Technology Council. And I'll also mention she joined us as one of our speakers in our recent 30 Ideas in 30 Minutes event. And you can find that at BIV.com slash video. This has been BIV Today. Thanks so much for listening and watching. We'll be back with a new video tomorrow.